When you work, you work next level. And when you play, you play next level. And when it's time to sleep, Sleep Number smart beds are designed to embrace your uniqueness, providing you with high-quality sleep every night. Sleep next level. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, the Queen Sleep Number C4 smart bed is only $15.99. Save $300, only for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. News continues. Let's hand it over to Michael Smirkanish and CNN Tonight. Michael. Anderson, thank you. I am Michael Smirkanish. This is CNN Tonight. President Biden's put Vladimir Putin on notice there will be consequences if Russia decides to invade Ukraine. But was he able to dial Putin back today from the brink of war in their two-hour video summit? That's the looming question tonight. It certainly looks like the brink of war. Russia's been amassing tens of thousands of troops on its border with Ukraine, potentially as many as 175,000, along with weapons and tanks and other military equipment, all caught on satellite cam. Could it all be just a bluff, just a show of force? Perhaps, but not likely. Putin wasn't bluffing when his country invaded Crimea in 2014 in violation of international law. And remember, Russia annexed Crimea from Ukraine after a military intervention. The international community still considers Crimea as Ukrainian territory. So this was likely the most important foreign policy conversation of the Biden presidency thus far, the secure call via video link, it began with pleasantries. Hello. Good to see you again. Unfortunately, last time I we didn't get to see one another at the G20. I hope next time we meet, we do it in person. But the White House says that Biden was then crystal clear about where the U.S. stands on this aggression. If Russia further invades Ukraine... America and our European allies would respond with strong economic measures that could devastate the Russian economy and will be much tougher this time around. Here's National Security Advisor Jake Sullivan. President Biden looked President Putin in the eye and told him today that things we did not do in 2014, we are prepared to do now. A package of sanctions didn't prevent Russia from annexing Crimea back when Biden was serving as vice president. Here's the read from the White House on Putin's intentions this time. We still do not believe that President Putin has made a decision. What President Biden did today was lay out very clearly the consequences if he chooses to move. He also laid out an alternative path. Ultimately, we will see in the days ahead through actions, not through words, uh, what course of action Russia chooses to take. So why are Russian and Ukrainian tensions reaching such a boiling point again? We know Putin's adamantly against Ukraine's desires to join NATO. He said last week that he would call for specific agreements that would rule out any further NATO expansion eastward. We don't know if he addressed that with President Biden today, but the White House says Biden made no commitments, no concessions on the call. So where did they leave things? The two presidents asked both of their teams to follow up, and the U.S. says it will do so in close coordination with allies and partners. President Biden will be speaking with Ukraine President Zelensky on Thursday, and that's the state of play. I want to know what you think Putin is up to, and what should the U.S. and its allies do if Russia invades Ukraine again? Reach out to me via social media during the course of the hour. I will share some of your thoughts during the course of this program. We have two perfect guests tonight with their takes. A former Supreme Allied Commander for NATO joins us in a moment. 
But first up is retired Army Lieutenant Colonel Alexander Vindman, former director for European Affairs for the National Security Council. He was a key witness to that infamous Trump call with the president of Ukraine that ultimately got Trump impeached the first time. He's also the author of Here, Right Matters, an American story. Why is Ukraine so, why is Ukraine so important to Putin? That's my question, Colonel Vindman. I, I want to know why is there such a fascination on the part of Vladimir Putin with Ukraine? Well, there's, there's many different reasons. The first one is uh, Ukraine is central to Russia's conception of itself as a great power. It believes Ukraine is its right uh, by history, by, um, and only as a freak of history with the collapses of, of the Soviet Union did the, you know, the, the worst case uh, 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 unfold, Russia losing Ukraine, the, the heart of the, the empire. So that's part of the story, but there's something more fundamental. Ukraine as a successful experiment invalidates uh, Putin's uh, view of managed democracy. Basically, this idea that he could that it, everything is under centralized control and uh, w- with limited curtailed freedoms for the population. If Ukraine is able to be successful, if Ukraine is prosperous and it's made some headways, made significant headway since 2014, which is why we see ourselves in this situation right now uh, with a major escalation looming in the next couple of weeks, months. If Ukraine is successful, it basically uh, proves his alternative view of managed democracy to be false. And on those, uh, those two reasons are the driving force. That's why some of the conversation going on around security assurances that NATO co- could offer, I, I see those as red herrings. I see those as negotiating tactics, uh, trying to draw compromises, trying to test the resolve of the U.S. and NATO. But really, it's a question of whether he could keep Ukraine in Russia's orbit. He lost it in 2014. He lost it as a result of the uh, revolution of dignity and then the assault on Ukraine. It's consolidated uh, the Ukrainian national identity. And uh, he thought he had done enough by taking bites out of Ukraine, large, large chunks. That was wrong. Ukraine has continued to make progress. And now he's trying to see if he could keep it. Uh, it's slipping Colonel through his Benman, fingers. You're the and he's perfect, just seeing if he could get away with it. You're the perfect person. I, I have something on my mind and it occurs to me you're the perfect person to ask because no one knows the dynamics as between the American government, Ukraine, and Russia, like you do, for the reasons that I mentioned in your introduction. So here's the question. If Putin really wants to invade Ukraine, why wouldn't he have done it on Donald Trump's watch? Well, I think he, uh, hmm, that's, that's a very, very good question. I think part of it is that he saw a uh, opportunity to get what he wanted through Trump, whether it was the first administration or the second administration, he saw some continuing opportunities. Now he, he thinks that uh, the relationship between you, Russia and Ukraine will continue to grow. It's kind of been rebra- rebranded, rebaselined now in some small incremental ways, but pro- he could see foresee, uh, foresee progress continuing on through this administration through the next three plus years. And that just makes it that much harder for him to keep Ukraine in the orbit. Time is not on his side. He thought that Ukraine was going to be a failed state. Ukraine is not a failed state. Ukraine is going to continue to become a more difficult problem for him. This is the time to act. He also perceives a lot of opportunities with regards to the hyperpolarization of the U.S., the rhetoric from the right-wing media about why should we care? We should just give uh, Ukraine to Russia the way he, uh, Putin's asking for it. He sees opportunity to leverage 
pressure energy uh, this this energy crisis in Europe against Europe. He sees divisions between Europe and the U.S. This is the time to act. Quick final question: Guys like Putin, they they seem either to be in office, in jail, or dead. Is it all about him asserting his strength and therefore trying to hold on to the office? I think this is part of his legacy. I think he's he's definitely firmed up his his control. He, there are no real contestants for, for power there in the short term. He does, he does eventually have to uh, uh, identify a successor. Right now, the question is, what is his legacy? Is he the gatherer of lands? Is he the one that's rebuilding Russian empire? Is he the one that's retaining Ukraine in Russia's orbit? He wants to do this. I think it's a coin flip of whether this becomes the largest war in Europe since, since World War II. Well, that's a scary thought. And the U.S. cannot be on the sidelines. That we is saw what happened thought. last time the U.S. sat out on the sidelines. Colonel Vindman, thank you. We appreciate your contribution. Thank you, Michael. A central question isn't just what the White House would do, but the entire NATO alliance. Ukraine's interests in formally joining NATO has been growing over the past three decades. In fact, when my next guest was the Supreme Allied Commander for NATO, Ukrainian forces deployed under his command. Retired Admiral James Stavridis is also the author of the Sailor's Bookshelf, 50 Books to Know at Sea. Admiral, welcome. Here's my first question. Does Ukraine stand a chance against Russia in armed conflict? Depends how you define a chance, Michael. I think uh, Ukraine could make it very painful for Russia. Um, the vast majority of Ukrainians uh, will fight. They will fight to defend their land. Um, they have improved greatly in warfighting capability over the last four or five years with U.S. and NATO assistance. Um, it will be a painful struggle for Vladimir Putin if he decides to invade. In other um, words, what I, what I hear you say, Admiral, is this could be a repeat for Putin of Afghanistan in 79. Or Chechnya. Let's face it. The Russians have experienced their own forever wars, Michael, and those ghosts rattle around Moscow. Putin is trying to weigh that precise calculus. If he does go across that border, he'll do it swiftly. He'll try and carve out a chunk uh, that creates a land bridge from Mother Russia, the Rodina, to Crimea. He's not hanging around for a long fight in Ukraine. Okay, Admiral, here's another thought that's on my mind. Is it in the United States' best interest to have Ukraine in NATO? And I ask that question because I'm sure many people are watching this discussion tonight, alarmed at the thought that the United States could get dragged into this. If Ukraine is in NATO, then that prospect of U.S. troops being deployed, American men and women, becomes much more likely. It does indeed. And in my view, we ought to be very measured in actually bringing Ukraine or any other new nation into NATO, Michael. We have 30 countries in NATO today. We've added several in the last few years in the Balkans. 30 is a pretty good number, but that does not mean we cannot have close partners. As was mentioned in your introduction, Ukrainian troops deployed under my command as part of the NATO mission to Afghanistan. They were part of our efforts globally with NATO. We can have partners who are not full members. I think that's a sensible construct. I, I have to believe that over the course of your career, you've been dialed in on Putin and his personality. Do you think he knows tonight what he's going to do? 
I think he does not. He is weighing everything. He will have listened carefully to President Biden. He's a former KGB intelligence officer. He's trained to weigh all the factors. But we ought to remember he can be reckless. And it's not just 2014 when he invaded Ukraine, Michael. In 2008, he invaded Georgia. He's rolled those cosmic dice twice already. And if we let him get away with it again, crossing a sovereign border in anger, shame on us. I, I just uh, have to repeat what I, what I put to Colonel Vindman. If he really wanted to invade, you would think when he was on friendly terms with the prior American president, that would have been his moment. If you have a thought in 10 seconds, express it. He, above all, seeks to divide American public opinion. He seeks to divide the NATO alliance. He sees advantage in moving at this moment in both of those regards. Admiral Stavridis, that was great. Thank you so much. My pleasure. What are your thoughts? Tweet me at Smirconish or go to my Facebook page. You know I enjoy doing this, which is to read some of the responses uh, live and unscripted. So what do you got from the world of Twitter? Here it is. Always learn once a liar, always a liar, Putin. I know Biden is trying hard to walk the fence to keep peace. Some days you just wish that he would, I think that's bitch slap Putin, and the rest of the Trump idiots. Kenny, it's an interesting dynamic as to what brought this about, right? Because on one hand, I was thinking maybe the cozy relationship between Trump and Putin allowed for the buildup of the circumstances that we face today. But as I expressed to my guests in the opening portion of the program, if Putin really wanted to go in, you think he would have done it on Trump's watch. I'm not an expert. I'm just on the sidelines. One more from Twitter, if we have the opportunity. Uh, Ukraine should not be prohibited from joining NATO if they meet the requirements in an effort to appease Putin. It would be a military win for him without even firing a shot. Just factor in, though, if all of a sudden you've got Ukraine in NATO, what does it say to the dynamics here in the United States, right? Because now we're committing our men and women to respond in kind if a NATO ally is attacked. Think about that. President Biden faces another big foreign policy problem. He ticked off China in the last 24 hours with his diplomatic boycott of Beijing's Olympics. China's threatening the U.S. will pay the price. And my question is, did the president go far enough? Should there be a full boycott pulling all our athletes as well? That's a survey question tonight on my website at Smirconish.com. I hope you'll go vote. We'll give you the results at the end of this hour. But first, insight from Olympic broadcasting veteran and legend, Bob Costas. He's next. The Winter Olympics are less than two months away, an event meant to bring people together. But tonight is pushing the U.S. and China further apart. China now says the U.S. will, quote, pay the price for its wrongdoings after the Biden administration imposed its diplomatic boycott of the Beijing Games. U.S. athletes still allowed to compete, leaving some wondering if there should be a full boycott. Let's discuss with Bob Costas. This is toothless, right? I mean, who cares if Tony Blinken shows up at the Olympics? Well, maybe my view is a bit too parochial as someone who spent his life in sports. But recall what happened when Jimmy Carter put into effect a full boycott of the 1980 Moscow Games after the Afghanistan invasion of a year before. It had little to no effect on Soviet policy. The effect it had was that it deprived all those athletes of their opportunity to compete, which is difficult for any athlete. But Olympians spend four years in preparation, essentially in the shadows, then step onto the world's biggest sporting stage. This is a moment that you don't want to take away from them 
Um, it's not the only consideration, but I think it's an important consideration. And this will matter symbolically. You know, the Chinese say we'll pay the price for our wrongdoings, but they never want to pay the price or even acknowledge their monstrous wrongdoings. I don't know. To me, it feels like double secret probation. I, I hear your point about punishing the athletes. I don't know why it's always these. Take it up with Dean Wormer. <laughs> Good for you. I don't know why these international conflicts are always heaped on the Olympics. Like, why are the Olympics such a, a convenient target for this? Well, it brings virtually the entire globe together and it raises the question about the IOC, a question I raised going back one way or another, beginning in 1996 when I ran afoul of the Chinese because I said as they came in during the opening ceremony in Atlanta, you're looking at the one nation that has the means and the motivation to replicate what the old Soviet bloc and the Eastern bloc did with their sports machine, with all that that implies, and a few other things. And orchestrated from Beijing, there was an effort to have me fired. NBC would have none of it. Then they said, okay, we'll accept a full public apology and prime time, and I wouldn't do that, and eventually it went away. But didn't they apologize? Didn't NBC try and walk oh, that there, back? There, there was some sort of boilerplate thing. Right. Uh, it was in August. Everybody had gone on vacation, and a PR man put out one of those sorry if anybody was offended right. statements, but <laughs> right. not, with my, not with my approval. Um, then in 2008, President Bush was there. In fact, he was seated next to Vladimir Putin when it became clear that uh, Russia had invaded Georgia. And I mentioned the human rights record, not as often as I would have liked. Networks tend to be a little timid about some of these things. But I mentioned it, and I put the question directly to President Bush when I was able to interview him. Did the same thing about Putin and uh, Russia when Sochi hosted the Olympics. And now here is China hosting an Olympics again. What? A decade and a half. You were after, prescient. Nothing's after, changed. After the last one. And one of the big questions now that you can't evade is what is it with the IOC and their affinity for authoritarian nations? There will be an Olympics, a summer Olympics in 2028 in Los Angeles. It will have been since 2002 when the Winter Games were in Salt Lake since there has been an Olympics on American soil. And yet uh, American television is the single greatest source of revenue for the IOC. Many IOC delegates remain ticked off at the U.S. because a free press blew the cover off the Salt Lake bidding scandal. Mitt Romney had to come in and set the thing straight. The whole thing was up in the air. Might not have, the whole thing might have fallen apart. They have long memories about this stuff. And the IOC and many of those delegates act in a high-handed way. And in that sense... You can see where the affinity for authoritarian nations comes in. I have another acronym for you. It's not the IOC. It's the NBA. I yes. have to believe there are some some guys holding their breath watching this because if this if this is sufficient grounds for there to be a, a diplomatic boycott, mm-hmm. then what does it say about N- the NBA doing business in China? The NBA is up to its neck in China. China is a huge sports market. Basketball is especially popular there. But they will put up with not even the slightest criticism. They reject it out of hand. And when they can, some of it may be just saber rattling, like saying today that the U.S. will pay the price for their wrongdoings. But to the extent that they can, they exact a price. I'm repeating myself here because I've said it before to you and others on CNN. But back a couple of years ago when Daryl Morey, then the GM of the Houston Rockets, tweeted, stand with Hong Kong. 
Rockets games were suddenly off the air for an extended period in China. And the Rockets are one of the most popular teams there because Yao Ming was the first big Chinese star in the NBA. More recently, Ennis Cantor, who grew up in Turkey, so he knows what Celtics. authorities... Yeah, Celtics. Uh, he's a Turk. He's, he spoke out against China. Same thing. Celtic games like that, gone. I guarantee you that the feed of this conversation is gone yeah, I, in China right now. I, I think that most Americans are not dialed in on the issue and just want to make sure there's going to be an, an iPhone under the tree in three weeks. Hey, you want to do quick social media with me? Sure. Okay. What, what has come in, right, uh, Vaughn, from the world of, of Twitter, I think? They'll put it up on the screen. Here okay. we go. Uh, maybe the U.S. should stop having 80% of the goods we use come from China. Well, that's my iPhone point. Your thought? Well, th- that's a, a very large. How, how do you unravel that? How in, do you, in 60 seconds or less? Well, the, the, the point is we talk a good I game. I don't mean unravel the issue. Yeah. How, let's assume you wanted to do that. How do you unravel that? There, there are going to be a lot of goods that we're uh, reliant upon that suddenly aren't going to be available to us. By the way, a lot of Nike's goods sure. that benefit the likes of Colin Kaepernick and LeBron James. No doubt. Made in China. Yeah. And those outspoken individuals, and in many cases, I, I think millions of Americans would agree with their positions on domestic issues, but they are conspicuously mum when it comes to China. And no matter what the issues are here, and they are serious issues, in terms of dimension, they pale alongside what's going on I in China. I think we talk a good game, but we, we don't want to give, you know, we're Louis C.K. in first class. How's my wireless? One more, if we have time for it. Hurry nice up. reference. Uh, no, follow the ancient tradition and set politics aside during the games. Cities at war would declare a truce so that their athletes could compete. By the way, how about if we drop some of... Uh, Lady Reifenstahl. Yeah, thanks for the Tri- pronunciation. Triumph of the Will. Yes, of Hit- course. Hitler's documentarian. Yeah. yeah. Uh, your reaction to this comment? This is pretty deep thinking. Olympia was the other movie. You know, the Aryan, the Aryan glory uh, so wrap it up. The What's the takeaway? The takeaway from Bob Costas? I, I tend to agree with, with this person on Twitter, uh, which is, yeah, in effect, call an Olympic truce. We know what... Uh, I'm for that. What uh, the, we th- know what the subplots are. I'll right. also say this very quickly. This is very treacherous terrain, or at least tricky terrain, for NBC. They have a small army of people there, or will. And those who run the network have to be concerned with their safety and well-being. We have no idea what the Chinese might do. It might begin with cutting the feed if they're displeased. It also could begin with making life difficult for anyone up and down the the ladder uh, of the NBC hierarchy. It it just feels half-assed to me. Either they're deserving of the boycott and the athletes don't go or don't even play this card. Anyway, you know I love having you here. I love being here. Make sure you go vote at Smirconish.com on this uh, survey question, okay? You know I live on the internet. (laughs) Uh, Reach out. Continue to reach out via social media, and I'll report back as to what you're saying as the program progresses. Ahead, controversy over, listen to this, Bob, over a restaurant denying service to three people who sat down with weapons. That but they sounds were, but reasonable. But they were cops. Exactly, but yes. they were cops. Yes, so they on were cop- duty, on in duty. uniform. And they, and they say, hey, you know, you're not welcome here. So I'm about to get into that now with the chief of police from San Francisco. And I'll leave you with this. Go I'm going to quote Bill Maher. Yeah. When your position sounds like it could be an onion headline, you've gone too far <laughs> to Wokeville. <laughs> we'll be back in a moment. So a trendy San Francisco restaurant closed tonight after backlash 
for refusing service to three on-duty police officers. It wasn't the badges that bothered the staff, but the guns. This happened at a brunch spot. It's called Hilda and Jesse. The officers sat down but were asked to leave when the owners say their crew got uncomfortable seeing the service weapons. It's not about the fact that we are anti-police. It is about the fact that we do not allow weapons in our restaurant. We were uncomfortable, and so we politely asked them to leave. The outrage led to a wave of negative reviews on Yelp. The owners are now apologizing. They're calling it a teachable moment for us as we repair and continue to build bridges with the SFPD. The city's police chief is here tonight. William Scott spoke with the owners by phone today. Chief, welcome. What did they say? Well, thank you, Michael, for having me on. Um, well, first and foremost, they apologized for, for what happened and, you know, said that it was a mistake. How did your officers handle this? Well, our officers are professional. And look, this is upsetting. This is, this is definitely was a disappointment uh, when this happened. It was a disappointment to all of us who wear a uniform, I believe. And, but they were professional. And that's the type of department that we, that we are and that we want to be. We understand that not everybody uh, agrees with us sometimes, and not everybody likes us, but we maintain our professionalism. And we've been working very hard to protect and serve our city, and we've been working very hard on improving our department. And I think our officers uh, who have put in all of that work, um, they need support. And what was disappointing about this is... Tough time to be in law enforcement, and and may I say, in your particular city, based on what I read in the newspaper, based on what I see in terms of the apparent attitude of the district attorney in your parts. I mean, I'd I'd hate to be a person in uniform right now. Well, we have to stay focused on our our jobs, what we can control, treating people with with respect, being professional. And, And look, not to say, you know, we're all humans. You know, we wear uniforms, so we're all humans. And, you know, we, we get things done to us and said to us that are hurtful, but we have to rise above it and be professional. And that's what these officers did. I'm so proud of the work that we have done. You know, a lot of what's been portrayed in our city is a narrative that really is not our city. You know, so this you department said, works hard. We, Chief, you said that the owners apologize today. Are you accepting of the apology? And what do you want for that business? Because as reprehensible as I think it was for them to have asked your officers to leave, I, I don't want them wiped out as a result. I, I, you know, lesson learned, right? Correct. And on behalf of the department, yes, I accepted their apology. Look, I mean, one of the things that we have to do, and this was said by the owners of the, rest, the restaurant, is we have to sit down and have conversations. You know, that's what we do in this city. We, we know that there are sometimes opposite sides of conversations about police officers and policing. But we sit down, we have conversations, and we can agree to disagree, but there has to be some civility in this process. And, um, you know, time is a healer, and, you know, pe- people were upset about this, and rightfully so. No doubt. Uh, but time is a healer, and, and we're willing to have, a, as a department, sit down and talk to anybody who's willing to sit down and talk to us. Well, I applaud your attitude. Chief, thank you so much for being here. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Sure. Next, we'll turn to a triumph in college sports overshadowed by backlash. A champion swimmer set to make history, but because she's transgender, she faces the same criticism others like her now have dealt with for years. A transgender sports pioneer is here to walk us through what critics might be missing and the questions that remain even in 2021. That's next. 
a remarkable college swimmer named Leah Thomas making national headlines. And it's not just because she won three events, smashed three school records and two Ivy League records in one weekend, one race, notably by a 38 second margin. But anger stems from the fact that she's a transgender athlete. These headlines speak for themselves. The editorial board of the New York Post claims, quote, dominating in women's sports as a trans athlete is fundamentally selfish. The same sentiment is echoed in numerous bills and legislative efforts across 31 different states attempting to restrict trans youth from participating in sports. I want to bring in Veronica Ivey, a trans woman athlete and two times Masters Track Cycling World Champion. Veronica, thank you so much for being here. You are both an athlete, athlete and you teach sports and trans ethics. Can we be fair and inclusionary at the same time? Oh, yeah. I think that the idea that fairness and inclusion are somehow in tension with each other is a fundamental misunderstanding. Fairness demands inclusion. So we have to start from a place of inclusion. And when I think about these sorts of headlines about, like, dominating, um, those sorts of headlines have been used against me, for example, even though I lose most of my races. And... The fact is that we don't use those headlines for male athletes. So if we want to talk about swimming, for example, I'll talk about a swimmer who has 28 Olympic gold medals, or sorry, 23 Olympic gold medals, eight gold medals in a single games, 39 world records, 20 Guinness world records, and for four Olympics in a row, he was the most decorated athlete in the games period. And of course, that's Michael Phelps. So Phelps truly actually dominated at the highest level, and we celebrate people like Phelps. But do you not concede any advantage held by Leah Thomas? I mean, the margin of those victories are pretty astounding, right? No, they were very long races where those sorts of margins happen. And let's remember, she broke her own school's record. She didn't set records for the NCAA. She set an Ivy League record, which is itself a subset of U.S. colleges. So she didn't set an NCAA record. So why are we so afraid of a trans athlete doing well? Why do these controversies seem to stem from competition involving transgender women, but not transgender men? Is there anything to be read into that? Yeah, it's real simple sexism. So it is basically that. Well, people no, do but not I'm, I'm asking view... the question of where, where in reverse are the transgender athletes who are breaking records and winning races? Oh, you mean where are the trans men? Yes, So uh, the most commercially successful trans athlete in the world is a man. It's Chris Mosier. He had a, he's a Nike sponsored athlete. He had during the 2016 Rio Olympic Games, a primetime ad by Nike. Um, There was, of course, the wrestler Mac Beggs in Texas that uh, he was forced to compete in the girls competition as a trans boy and won against everyone's wishes because states like Texas do not let trans athletes compete in the gender that they really are. So trans male athletes are absolutely out there. So why is the focus only on trans women? Well, it's misogyny. It's sexism. Veronica, I wish we had more time. It's nice to see you again. To be continued, as they say. Yep, you too. We'll be right back.
Today marks 80 years since the infamous surprise attack on Pearl Harbor, a day that would change the course of our nation's history. Just as the strength of our democracy was tested then, we find ourselves yet again in a different but just as dangerous war on truth and democracy and science. CNN's John Avalon is here with a reality check. Now, 80 years ago today, Pearl Harbor was attacked, dragging America into the Second World War. It remains a date which lives in infamy, as FDR said. But it followed more than a decade of depression, in which democracy seemed to be in retreat against authoritarian regimes. By comparison, we have it easy. But democracies are again suffering from self-doubt as authoritarians seem on the march. Over the past six years, America's endured sustained assaults on truth, democracy, and science, leading to reduced trust in our institutions and each other. Those breaches don't heal overnight. It has a downstream effect, tainting a rising generation with a sense of pessimism. And perhaps the most stark snapshot of that came from a new poll of young people, age 18 to 29, conducted by the Harvard Institute of Politics. It shows that a majority believe that our democracy is at risk. And who could blame them after seeing a president lie about election results, incite an insurrection, and then see one party follow him into la-la land? But the very nature of the big lie that means there's a partisan divide. Get this, while 44% of Democrats say our democracy is healthy or at least somewhat functioning, only 23% of Republicans feel that way. But there are other partisan divides that speak to the trust deficits facing both parties. For example, Democrats have a problem when it comes to patriotism, or at least perceptions of American exceptionalism. Just 21% of Democrats surveyed agreed with the statement that America is the greatest country in the world, while 64% believe that there are other nations as great or greater than America. And among Republicans, those ratios were nearly reversed, with 62% saying that America is the greatest. But when it comes to the science of confronting climate crisis, Republicans are clearly on the back foot when it comes to young Americans. A solid 55% say that the federal government is not doing enough to combat climate change, which includes 68% of folks with a college degree and 50% without. A small slice, just 14%, think the feds are doing too much, which lines up with the do-nothing climate change denial of Donald Trump. While President Joe Biden's popularity has dipped from 59% overall in 2020 to 46% today, He is still far more popular among young people than Trump ever was. And the ex-president's approval is double underwater, with 63% unfavorable and just 30% favorable ratings. Interestingly, for all our dysfunctional partisan divides, there's a glimmer of hope here, or at least a demand for something different. Get this, by a two-to-one margin, 43 to 21%, young Americans say they'd rather have elected officials compromise and meet in the middle, even at the expense of their own preferred policy positions. They sound more mature than most folks in Congress, but their idealism is tempered by a deep pessimism as they look at all our societal divides. The poll asked young Americans to put a percentage on the chance that the United States would see a second civil war in their lifetimes. And while these sorts of dramatic what-if questions should be taken with a pound of salt, it's still not reassuring to see 35% of all respondents place the likelihood of a second civil war at 50% or higher in their lifetime. Behind all these hard numbers is an even harder psychological impact. The survey found that 51% folks say they felt down, hopeless, or depressed over the past two weeks, while 25% said they had thoughts they might be better off dead or hurting themselves in some way, with young women particularly feeling that way. If you're feeling depressed, don't be afraid to ask for help. You are not alone. 
But also remember that we are made from sturdy stuff. The so-called greatest generation suffered through the Great Depression and World War. They were great because they overcame great obstacles and found that they didn't have to be perfect to be heroes. For all our very real challenges, the 80th anniversary of Pearl Harbor is a reminder that we have been through far worse. That attack caught America by surprise, but within a few years, the world found out that a diverse democracy has strengths that authoritarian regimes just can't match when we work together with a sense of urgency toward a common goal. And that's your reality check. John, I'm so glad that you referenced Pearl Harbor in the way that you did on the 80th anniversary because it makes me nervous. Too few talked about it today. Luckily, you did. Anderson did just before my program began tonight. We just marked the 20th anniversary of September 11. And I get nervous that 60 years from now, not enough people will be talking about that important milestone. So that was really good stuff on a variety of levels. Well, thank you. That historical amnesia is dangerous. We, we learn from history to be a guide and to give us perspective on our own problems and to give us some courage. And that's what we need right now. John Avalon, thank you. We'll be right back with your reactions to tonight's program. Time to see how you responded to tonight's survey question at Smirconish.com. It was an affirmative statement, and I wanted to know, did you agree or disagree with this? The U.S. should implement a full boycott of the Beijing Olympics. Agree or disagree? Here's the result. We had more than 8,000 votes tabulated. Oh, interesting. A nearly, let's call it two-thirds disagree. Disagree with the proposition that we should have a full-on boycott. I talked with Bob Costas about this earlier tonight. He thinks that the athletes would be punished if it were a full-on boycott. I agree with that, but I don't like the half measure of, of diplomatic uh, protest. As I said, I mean, Tony Blinken doesn't go. Does that really take notice? It, we're either all in, we're all out, is what I'm trying to say on that issue. And I don't like the half measure that was adopted by the Biden administration. Here's some other reaction that came in during the course of the program. I love that you tweet at me while I'm speaking. Happy that we have a president who is not afraid to take action against Russia. I say, hit them where it hurts, right in the wallet. Stop the pipeline, seize their foreign assets, whatever it takes. Ukraine has a right to its sovereignty. Does that, uh, 2020 was decided by women? Okay, I like your handle. Does that include the commitment of American troops if it comes to that? I appreciated having Admiral Stavridis, formerly the Supreme you know, Allied Commander for NATO, and I said to him, what are the dynamics for the United States of Ukraine joining NATO? Because think about that now, all of a sudden it's a domino process. Ukraine desperately wants to be in NATO, at least under President Zelensky, but once they're in, we're on the hook for whatever military obligation may come their way. Think about that. What would be the sentiment of Americans if all of a sudden our men and women had to go over and fight for Ukraine? I'm raising the question, and that's part of my ancestry. Here's another one that came in from social media. What do we have? Smirkanish, many people wonder if Russia would call the U.S. if we started massing troops on the border with Mexico. Uh, Good news is we are not going to do that at any time soon, nor are we going to do it on our northern tier. One more if we've got time for it, and I think that we do. Screw the Olympics. The IOC is about as trustworthy and has as much zero integrity as FIFA, but let's allow its existence to inflame tensions. Just don't watch that crap. Well, the IOC, how about the NBA? I mean, that's the acronym. I think probably NBA players think LeBron and others, I'm sure, are holding their breath just watching how this all plays out because if, in fact, we're going to have some type of a diplomatic protest against the Olympics, what does that say to the NBA as they're trying to expand their market share in China? 
one more, because I think I do have time. I love this part of it. You know I don't see these in advance. And you're saying to yourself, yeah, we know, because your responses are so weak. Uh, I'm a solid no on boycott, even putting aside the athletes. The Olympics are an avenue for better relations, as is the UN. I'm reminded of Samantha Smith and that even small openings might be leveraged to better relations. That's my approach as well. Either all in or all out, but probably all out. And, and why the Olympics? You know, every couple of years, all of the attention of whatever international strife might exist gets heaped on the Olympics. That doesn't seem fair to the athletes. Figure out another avenue to get that done. Thank you so much for watching. I'll be back here tomorrow night. Don Lemon tonight starts right now. We all do things our own way. And since the way that each of us sleeps is unique, you need a bed that fits you just the right way. Sleep Number smart beds make your sleep experience as individual as you are, using cutting-edge technology to give you effortless, high-quality sleep every night. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, the Queen Sleep Number C4 smart bed is only $15.99. Save $300, only for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com.